Welcome to the Emmanuel Message Podcast. For more information about us, check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook or Instagram at kenosha.church. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world. For the month of October, we'll be taking a look at spiritual warfare. Enjoy the message. All right, so this week we're going to talk about uh, as we introduced that last week, we're at war. We're at war, in, in not against flesh and blood, but against uh, a, an invisible realm, right? Uh, the spiritual realm. Well, this, this week I want to talk about, uh, now that we know they're at war, uh, how, what, what are we supposed to do when we encounter a spiritual attack? Uh, what are we supposed to do when we encounter uh, a demonic attack against our soul? So we're going to talk about this morning how to survive and thrive through a spiritual attack. We're going to look at specifics, the tactics of our uh, enemy. Now, in doing this, I'm going to ask you a question. Have you or have you known somebody that's been attacked by a wild animal? Anybody, anybody attacked by a wild animal in this room, all right? Anybody know anybody that's been attacked by a wild animal? I mean, I know in Kenosha, that's usually not a question that you ask. A few of you, all right. Uh, this isn't a question we typically ask. There might be the stray dog, right? Uh, it might be uh, the skunk that you see by your, by, by your garbage cans. Like, oh man, I don't want the skunk to spray me. That's happened to me almost a few times. Or maybe it is the turkey, right? Right? It's Carl, all right? We, we live in Carl's neighborhood, the turkey, all right? Apparently, he jumped on one of your guys' cars. I'm hearing the rumor of that this morning. He just went, whoop, right on one of your cars, all right? And so, yes, you might be attacked by turkey if you come to Emmanuel Kenosha Church. That's okay, all right? But being attacked by a wild animal, this is something, though, if you're outside of Kenosha, uh, if you were uh, in the country or you go camping in the wilderness, this is something that you should at least be aware of. So I was looking like how to survive an attack. Well, what about a dog? Okay, a dog, again, might be uh, the, uh, the, the most common uh, one we have here. So let's go ahead and put that up there. What's it look like uh, to be attacked uh, by a dog? All right, can we put that up there? Do we have that? There it is. All right, so how to be attacked by a dog. And the thing I absolutely, that we need to know if you're going to be attacked by a dog is make sure you don't make eye contact with the dog and make sure that you walk, you know, very slowly. Be alert, okay? Be attacked by a dog. What about a bear, all right? What about a bear? And so, interestingly enough, if you're being attacked by a bear, uh, is that the number one way to defend yourself is through what's called bear spray, all right? It's not a gun. Uh, it's it's Because it, a lot of times the bullet will go right into its head and ricochet off, right, and hit you, all right? So bear spray is actually spraying them with a a huge can and extinguisher of mace, all right? But I find particularly uh, one of the craziest uh, survival guides is actually surviving an attack of an anaconda. Anybody been attacked by an anaconda or known anybody by an anaconda? There really is a way to survive this attack. This comes from a 1973 Peace Corps manual. There it is, all right? And so I'm going to give you the highlights, how to survive an anaconda attack, just in case if you're ever in the jungles, okay? So this was written by the Peace Corps for those going to South Africa, and they're going to be traveling the jungles, all right? So here it is. Number one, if attacked by an anaconda, don't run. It's faster than you. Okay, that's frightening. Uh, instead, lie flat on the ground and put your hands to your sides. Keep calm, right? Uh, after the snake has examined you, it will begin to swallow you from the feet, Permit the snake to swallow you up to the ankles, all right? Are you kidding me, all right? Keep calm, yeah, right, keep calm and tough-minded. He will begin to suck your legs into his body, all right? <laughs> when the snake has reached the knees, 
reach down and take your knife that's around your waist and very gently slide the knife on the side of the snake's mouth between the edge of the mouth and your leg. Keep calm. Now, suddenly rip your knife upward to the snake's head. That's how you survive an anaconda attack. But I absolutely love the last line. Be sure your knife is sharp. Be sure you have your knife. The bottom line, be ready. Be ready. And you know, I don't know anybody that survived an anaconda attack. I need to Google that one further. Most of us, Lord willing, will never have to face something so horrific like an anaconda attack or a bear attack or any other attack. But many of us will feel an attack that's much worse. An attack that is for our very souls, our very minds and our very hearts. And this morning, some of us are facing spiritual attack and we feel like we are literally being swallowed. Some of us feel like up to the ankles, some of us up to the waist. Some of us are like, get me out of here, right? Everyone faces this threat. And for many that are not in Christ, they don't even know that this threat exists. They don't even realize they need the Lord. They don't even realize that they've been under a spiritual attack. For those of you in the Lord, you know that you're being attacked this morning or you have felt attack or some of you, you feel like you've been attacked so often, so recently that it's almost feeling normal. A spiritual attack is one of the worst attacks that you can uh, ever experience in your life because it's not just attacking your physical, but your soul. And so to borrow a page from the 1973 Peace Corps, Guide to an attack of an anaconda. Are you prepared? Are you prepared for the moment where you're most vulnerable? Are you prepared for the moment when the enemy strikes your mind? When the enemy strikes your heart? Are you prepared? Now again, this series isn't about woo, the enemy and the devil, right? We want to over give him credit. But what I fear is in many situations, we don't think about him at all. Are you prepared when the enemy attacks your emotions, your mind, your affections? So we're gonna look at this morning, we're gonna have a field guide of what it looks like when you're attacked and what to do about it. We're gonna be in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. I'm gonna invite you all to turn your, to your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. Uh, also, you can download a Bible app. We have our Emmanuel Kenosha Church app. You can follow along. But what I wanna say more than anything this Sunday is this. The enemy's gonna try to distract you, right? And if, you're, if you use your Bible on the phone, you might wanna put it on airplane mode, right? Because you're gonna be finding yourself scrolling this morning. You're like, why am I even scrolling, right? Because it's like this. Often the enemy will get you away from what you need to hear by distracting you with things you don't need to hear in that moment. 1 Peter chapter 5, let's go to verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Now, Peter is writing to a dispersed church. We, we actually did a whole study on 1 Peter about a year ago. You can check that out at our website. But the thing is this. This is one of the clearest examples of what the enemy wants to do to you. We see this in verse 8. The adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. And so Peter is writing to the, the dispersed church and he's ending this letter of encouragement of saying, oh yeah, but you need to know this. 
He's not gonna stop. He's gonna keep on trying to pounce. He's gonna keep on trying to attack. And so what do you need to do to survive and even thrive? Are you prepared? So let's take a look at a couple areas of how the enemy attacks. Number one is this, what we see very clearly is the enemy stalks you. He stalks you. Verse eight, 1 Peter 5, eight. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. A few years ago, Tom and I and a, a whole group of other uh, people, I think Katie was there, I'm trying to, like, like Roger, a number of us, uh, we went to South Africa uh, to do a training uh, and do some trainings, and then we had some days where we were doing some exploratory aspects of the trip because uh, we were going into Cape Town, uh, South Africa, and this was an area that our ministry partner, Don Olding, had never uh, done ministry or conferences in, and so he was looking to do this on a regular basis, which he now has. Um, and so one of the things we were able to do on one of our days was to go on a safari. He's like, I want to see if the safari is any good, so when I bring other teams on. Uh, and so I was like, okay, I'd, I'd love to be your safari guinea pig. Let's do it, all right? So we went on this safari, of course, when you're in the safari, you, you get to see zebras, you get to see hippos, you get to see giraffes. But what do you really want to see when you go on safari? You want to see the lions, right? And so this safari, I call it kind of a quasi-real safari because, I mean, they had fences around this, even though it was, you know, miles and miles of land. I was like, okay, this is a big zoo. All right, I get it. All right, so. But we got to the lion aspect where the lions could be. And so we're driving our Humvee into what looked like Jurassic Park. If you've ever seen Jurassic Park, when they get to the Tyrannosaurus Rex area, they have the big fence with the electrical lines above it, right? That's exactly what we were driving into to see the lions, into this extra fence and a fence with electrical lines. And so we're like, all right, this is awesome. I got my phone out. I played Africa by Toto. It was great, right? <laughs> I really did. Um, and as we're like singing, you know, we start singing to it. We start like bouncing our foot to it, right? Yeah. And then we heard this boom, boom. Man, what's, where's that bass drum coming? And I look down, I realize we have a flat tire, all right? Our tire is completely flat. I'm like, okay, I've had car troubles in Alaska. I've had car troubles in every state in this, in this country, but I am not gonna have car trouble inside the electric fence of a safari. And I said, hey, I think we have a flat tire. He's like, what? I think we have a flat tire. Oh, so check this out. Here it is. We can show that picture, please. Uh, is that we have, there it is, we are actually getting out of our car inside a lion's den, right? And of course, they had to bring another car up. And of course, this is what we didn't want to come after us. Check this out. Is Here we are. We have, next, next picture, please. Um, uh, there it is. And so, uh, yeah, we didn't, he was, that, that, that's real, okay? That's not, a, that's not from National Geographic. That is from our safari. And we realized we didn't want to be his lunch, Right? Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to, uh, to, to go against those fangs. So the thought of being a lion's dead meat was unsettling, and it reminded me of this passage we we're reading this morning. Peter calls the devil our enemy, a lion that prowls around looking for the moment of attack. Lions literally, to attack, stalk their prey. They stalk their prey. And they wait for you to be unaware. And typically speaking, uh, it's at night. And Peter knows this. He knows how the enemy attacks. On, on the night before Jesus' crucifixion, 
he denied Christ three times. He knows what it's like in the night of when, when, it's, when the tension is rising, when he's insecure and people are accusing him. He knows what it's like to be vulnerable for spiritual attack. Satan wants nothing more for you and I to take our eyes off the Lord and our eyes on the roaring lion of the enemy. And we, we learned last week that Satan is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. You know, often when we talk about satanic attack, we think of, oh man, Satan attacked me this morning. He may have, but most likely he didn't. Uh, who attacked you were the legions of demons uh, that uh, fulfill the plan of Satan. They're his agents. And so most likely you did not uh, face an attack directly from Satan himself, but rather uh, a, it could be a demonic attack. But when your eyes are on the Lord, you can be aware to these attacks. Now, the spirit will be in full control of, of your senses when you're aware. You'll be fully awake and aware of what is going on. You will be remembering his word. You'll be filled with his spirit to, to get out of the, the, this mode of him, uh, of the enemy maybe attacking your emotions or your minds. And you know when the enemy's attacking. It's when you know that you're stepping outside the bounds of God's word. Maybe you want to gossip. Maybe you want to lash out. Maybe you want to re respond and hurt and insecurity. But when the Spirit of God is leading you, you can be aware of these things and pause and be led by the Spirit and not by the enemy trying to take advantage of your vulnerabilities or weaknesses. But every single one of us are at risk of under, being under attack. There's an old saying, uh, the enemy doesn't beat a dead horse, right? If you're being attacked this morning, that means the enemy knows that you are, uh, you are his vulnerability, the enemy knows that if, if God is using you and empowering you with his spirit, he knows that you could thwart his ways. The enemy sees that you are a threat to his dominion. And yet, sometimes followers of Christ, they don't want to step into the things of God. Like, oh, I don't, I don't want to have a bullseye on my back. I, I'll just live a lukewarm Christianity so I'm not in a, you know, attacked by the devil. No, 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 listen, listen, here's the deal. If you're already living that way, if you're living lukewarm Christianity so you don't have to feel a spiritual battle, you've already succumbed to the spiritual battle. Know this, you can step into the things of God, you can step into the things of Jesus, being fully filled with his Holy Spirit, walking into all what he's calling you to do, and yes, there's gonna be flaming arrows, yes, you will be attacked, Attacked, but listen, greater is he than the enemy who's in the world. Isaiah 54, 17 says this, no weapon formed against you will succeed and you will refute any accusation raised against you in court. The question is this, are you gonna fulfill your calling? Are you gonna fulfill your duty before the Lord? Are you gonna fulfill the mission he's entrusted you with? Are you gonna fulfill the worship that is to be coming off our hearts? And are you prepared for the attacks that will follow? The enemy stalks you. He's not going to relent. Secondly, the enemy attacks you by lying to you. He's a liar. John 8, 44, he says this, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Did you get that? Oftentimes we try to negotiate with the enemy, but he is the father of lies. It's within his very nature to lie. And you know, the, the tactic of Satan is he often dresses up falsehood as if kind of a quasi-truth. He gives you that 80% truth with that 20% falsehood, but it's that 20% falsehood that's absolutely poison. 
He dresses up like an angel of light to deceive you, to believe what is evil is good and what is good is evil. And he'll dress up all what he's trying to tempt you with, with language that's a virtue. Now we clearly see this in Jesus' own temptation by Satan. He was tempted by Satan to turn uh, stones into bread. He was tempted by Satan to, uh, to, he would give him all of the world, and I'm guessing that is, that is worldly cultural fame, uh, if he would bow down and worship him. But I want to look at particular, the particular temptation that is so important for you and I this morning. That was the second temptation in the desert. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 5, Satan tempted Jesus in this way. He says, then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Now what Satan is doing particularly here is he's saying, all right, Jesus, if you're the son of God, prove it. Prove it. Whenever, when someone say, whenever growing up and you're hanging out in the, you know, at recess or you're hanging out somewhere and someone says, oh yeah, prove it. Did that ever end very well? <laughs> no, why? Because you're usually over-promising and you know that you're gonna under-deliver. And so when someone says prove it, you realize, okay, something dumb is about to happen. And yet that's exactly what the enemy tells each and every one of us. Prove it. Oh yeah? If, if God is so big and God loves you, does it really matter how you live? Because he'll just rescue you, right? You can, you, you can give into your vice. Like, listen, if, if, if God loves you, he's gonna stop you from, from, from taking those drugs again. Or he's gonna stop you from looking at pornography again. He's gonna stop you from, from literally jumping off that bridge. Let's prove it. That's the enemy. Because Jesus responds, don't test the Lord your God. But what Satan is saying to Jesus, prove it. Jump off the top of the temple. God will save you. Prove it. If you're the son of God, that's what you'll do, right? And then Satan tempts Jesus, get this, with scripture. He quotes scripture. Like Satan wants to have a little Bible study with us, right? Okay, everybody, I'm gonna tempt you a little bit and I'm gonna give you some uh, proofs from the Bible. And Satan is quoting a psalm. He's saying, all right, Jesus, I think this is what you should do. And uh, here's some verses to back me up. What Satan will do is this. He will try to tempt you, and if he knows that you're a follower of Christ, he will tempt you by twisting the very scriptures of which we are to be students of. And we see that in culture today, don't we? We, we literally see scriptures being misapplied or twisted from their clear meaning. People today say, oh, I don't know if we can really clearly understand scripture, but you can clearly understand scripture. Uh, if, God is, uh, if God is unchanging, if God wants us to know him, do you literally think that he is going to take scripture and he's gonna make it to where we can't understand it and uphold it over all the years? It's within his very character that scripture will be upheld. It was his very character that we can trust that scripture is his perfect revelation for you and I to know him. And yet, Satan loves to take scripture and twist it. Take scripture and redefine words. And today, whether it be a, a cultural or political, uh, they, they take things, and, and, and it doesn't matter what side, right? Uh, they take things, and they want to give their meaning to it. Whether it, be, whether it be justice, whether it be the word love. We have this phrase called love is love, right? 
And, uh, and the thing is, is that love isn't love. We know God is love. God is the one that defines love. And because of that, we, we need to go by his definition and not a cultural understanding of what that is. Many people are deconstructing with very clear words mean in, script, in scripture. They're deconstructing miracles. Oh, that really wasn't a miracle. They're deconstructing salvation. Oh, Jesus really isn't the only way. Uh, they're deconstructing the gospel. Oh, the gospel isn't Jesus dying on the cross. They're deconstructing the church. So much so I'm fearful the church is becoming just another 501c3. It's not a 501c3. It's the bride of Christ. It is the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Uh, the church is God's hope to the world, the visible hope to the world. There, there is no plan B. And yet... The enemy wants to take the church. He wants to take the words of scripture. He wants to take Jesus himself and just make it another something. And when we begin to doubt one area of scripture, it's a domino effect. You can't isolate it. Oh, I just don't believe that, you know, that the virgin birth, listen, here it is, another domino is gonna go, I just don't know if I believe that Jesus is the only way. And as the dominoes drop, division ensures because ideas, unbiblical ideas are brought forth and it brings distrust and it spreads like cancer in your own mind. Now notice in verse seven, when Satan was twisting scripture, how did Jesus fight that? Scripture. Properly applied and understood scripture. By rightly quoting scripture in its context, we see that Jesus fought the demonic lie. Satan wants to disarm you, and he'll go any and do anything in any way to do it. And if Satan will lie to Jesus, he will lie to you. But in Christ, you've been given a new nature. You've been made new. You've been given the Holy Spirit to which we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And with that, we must hunger for God. We must hunger for the things of God each and every day. We must hunger for the, the initiatives of God and his mission. Because you want to know who else is hungry? I'm telling you right now, we live in one of the hardest times, the hardest moments we've lived in in our entire lives. No matter what generation you're from. The world is hungry for answers, very hungry. And if we don't hunger for God, we don't have an answer for those who are hungry without God. And if we're not hungry for the things and the mission of God, people who are hungry will look for it elsewhere. Deception and doubt, we, Satan wants to feed them with that. He doesn't want to feed them with the word of God. He wants to feed them with his deception and doubt of the Lord. A few weeks back, I shared uh, that our van broke down on our vacation. It was a great way to end our vacation uh, in Nevada. Uh, it just was driving well, and all of a sudden, boom, and it wasn't, all right? And we were in the middle of the Nevada desert, and it was deader than a doornail. I, I was really thankful to the Lord that we didn't die like, uh, die the, the van didn't die like, you know, 100 miles from nowhere. We, we died in a town of 100. Uh, it's still kind of nowhere, right? Um, and so I was really thankful for that, but I, I, could be, I need to be completely honest with you. I was wrestling with the Lord that entire time. I was like, God, why would you do this? Why would you allow this? I mean, you didn't do it. Why'd you allow it? Like, why? Like, this is a major setback. Are you mad at me? Right? Allison can, Allison can, can attest to that. Like, I'd ask her, is God mad at us or something? Like, why would he just put us out in the desert, right? 
I just, I, I, this, is a, this is a question that just was in my mind and I was wrestling with for literally weeks. God provided us. We got out of that desert. We took a one-way rental to Kenosha, right? Uh, the car was dead or in a doornail. Well, anyway, last week I returned to the desert. We had a conference in Sacramento that was on the books for a long time. And so on day three, when I was out there, I was like, hey, we're going to drive out to Nevada. It's a couple hours away and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell the band for scrap, all right? So again, I was happy that we could sell it for scrap, but it was still a major setback. And I was like, God, what? What is the purpose of us going out into the desert? And as we went out there, and we were starting to to clean the things out of the van, I noticed next to me was a SUV from New York, a young man sitting next to his car with his dog. And I thought, I wonder if he's broke down too. So I go up to him and I said, hey, are are you, what's up? And he goes, oh man, I've been here since... I've been here since Sunday, which in my, by the time I got there, that was four days prior. I broke down, my whole engine just froze up and I got to get it towed out. I'm like, oh man, I know this story. So we started to talk. We started to just, you know, he was, he was road tripping and for four months just with him and his dog. And I was like, wow, seeing the national parks. And uh, as I was just talking to him, I just had this thought in my head, he's the reason why you're here. His name is McKinley. And we just... As, as I became convinced that he's the reason why he was here, these words started coming out of my mouth. I said, uh, hey, McKinley. And like, as I began to just talk, I'm like, uh, uh, the words started to come out. I was like, don't you think it's weird that me and these three other guys that are in ministry are meeting you in the middle of the desert to say that God loves him and he wants you to know him? I firmly believe that today. He goes, yeah, that, that is, that is strange. But we just talk. We talk for hours. I was able to share the entire gospel. And, you know, there's, there's moments where when, you're, when you are able to share Jesus and people are like, yes, I want Jesus, there's other moments they have to think about it. They have to let it just kind of marinate a little bit. That was his case. But he wanted more. So I'm racking my brains. I'm like, okay, oh, yes, invite card. You know, because our invite cards, you can invite anybody all throughout the United States. Why? Because there's a QR code and they could watch it on Sunday morning, right? So I'm like, all right, yeah, go. I had nothing. I'm racking my brains. I'm like, you know what? I know what I do have. My broke down car next to his. I still have an Emmanuel Kenosha Church bumper sticker. So guess what? I peeled that bad boy off really, really so slowly. I put it on my little number that they had on my rear view mirror. And I said, here, here's an invite card. You can come to Emmanuel this Sunday. I thought, man, he's going to think I'm crazy. But you know what he said? Yeah. Well, at this point, I asked him if he wanted to go to the Dairy Queen next door to eat. He already had eaten his peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So the four of us went over to Dairy Queen to go eat. And when I returned... Underneath my windshield wiper was a note. He was so incredibly thankful that we had this talk about Jesus. But then he noticed I was reading the note. He's like, oh, you're, you're still around. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll thank you for the note. And he's like, and he just gave me a hug. And as he spends the next three months of windshield time, he's gonna be at church with us. So McKinley, if you're here this morning, we're really happy you're here. And I, we took a picture together and I told him, in church, I want us to do this because he, he gave us permission. That he, he, there he is. I said, I pray for you every time I see this picture. He was hungry. The reason why I share this story is I've been seeing this everywhere that I go. People without Jesus are so incredibly hungry. And church, we have to be so hungry to humbly give the mission the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if the church, the church meaning God's people, if we're not gonna do it, the enemy will. 
He'll give them every counterfeit possible known, right? In fact, I just became aware of this week in Kenosha. One of the counterfeits the enemy is providing in mass of the city right now is spirituality, but it's not spirituality from Jesus. It's spirituality from the occult. Tarot cards, the demonic, Ouija boards, psychics. Because people are hungry and they'll look for anything. But it's not anything that will save a soul. It's Jesus Christ. No one comes to the Father but through him. Those are Jesus' very words. There's a McKinley in your life right now, every day, and we need to be ready. We need to be ready because Satan's goal is to keep you from worshiping Jesus. Satan's goal is to plug your ears up in this church service. Satan's goal is for you not to be a carrier of the mission of Jesus Christ, but to a barrier, to bury it in the ground. The enemy, the enemy wants us to be a church to where we say, what's in it for me? He wants us to be a church that has an attitude of what do I get out of it? Or he wants us to be a church that's offended. Or he wants us to be a church that only sings when we like a certain song. Or he wants us to be a church of, I don't like how we, you know, I don't like that. Or I don't like that donut flavor or whatever it is. I'm just, Satan wants us to be a church where we're mad at everybody. Because it's about me, 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 me. Well, listen, church is about you, but it's not just about you. It's about Jesus, and it's about people that you're sitting next to. It's about the gospel of Jesus going out as we give ultimate praise to him as we gather. The enemy attacks you. He stalks you. He's waiting for that moment, and he's lying to you. If he lied to Jesus, he will continually lie to you. And the third way that he attacks is he accuses. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 so the great dragon was thrown out to the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. We see very clearly here that our enemy is an accuser. He stalks you, he lies to you, he accuses you. He wants you to doubt who you are. He wants, to, you to, he wants you to divide who you are. He wants you to become somebody who doesn't talk about Jesus, just knows the things about Jesus. This is how he does it. But you see, the great accuser, the progression of accusion, of accusation. Let's go ahead and put that up there. The progression of accusation. The first thing is this. The first way that he accuses you is actually by tempting you. The enemy will dangle temptation in front of you. It could be your purity. It could be the furtherance of possessions. It could be telling a person off you have beef with. It could be a number of things. It could be addictions, strongholds. But whatever it is, he tells you and he reminds you that you don't have this thing right now and you need it right now. Right now, your life will not be fulfilled. Uh, your life won't have meaning. The reason why you're feeling the weight you're feeling right now is because you don't take hold of this thing now. You need it now. He is a great salesman for what you ought not to have. But the minute that you bite, the minute that you take hold of the thing that he's tempting, he switches his role. And he becomes the great accuser. Oh, you gotta do this, you gotta... How could you do that? You did that? <laughs> You're a Christian. 
You go to you went to Emmanuel last Sunday. You can't go next Sunday, right? How could you do that? I mean, I was just kidding. Like I was just, I was just seeing if you would follow. But you did that. How could you do that? And then he moves on to this. How could God ever forgive you for giving in? And what he does is this. He went from the great, you know, party guy tempting you to the, I can't believe he did that, to judge, jury, and executioner. You did that? You did that? You are guilty? You are forsaken? And you never have a way back to him. How dare you? You can never get back to God. That's what he does. But listen, the beautiful thing that we just celebrated at communion was this. It's not about our actions. It's not about our failures that get us to God. It's about what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And when Jesus Christ was on the cross and he saw you and he saw every single one of your sins, you want to know something absolutely incredible? He forgives you of your sins past, present, and future. But when he was on the cross, because it was 2,000 years ago, all of your sins were future to him. All of them. And he said it is finished. Which means this. The enemy wants you to have nothing to do with the forgiveness of Jesus Christ or the realization, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that you can walk free. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus Christ did. And when you fail, the enemy will try to convict you of something that you've been acquitted. Now, does that mean that you go and sin all that you want to do because uh, Jesus has forgiven you? No. In fact, when you sin and you have the Holy Spirit in you, you, you're convicted. He chases you. He convicts you. Why? Because he doesn't want you to live in, in sin, which, which actually robs you of, of, of God's glory in your life. He wants you to turn to him and grow in Christ. And so there's difference. God will convict you to be made right in him. The enemy will convict you so that you feel forsaken. Big difference. Because Satan wants to do the exact opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus wants you to be forgiven and know that you can walk in the newness of him, but the enemy says, how could you? And the bottom line is this, he wants you to give up. He wants you to give up. How could you go on being a Christian? And if, if, the answer is this, if you can't go on, you may as well keep doing it. And whereas Jesus calls you by his name, the enemy wants to call you by your sin. Oh, you're just a drunk. Oh, you're just a sex addict. Oh, you're just a gossip. Oh, you're just angry. Oh, you know, you're just a realist. That's why you can't look at this life that way. Oh, you know, and, and we've heard this. We've said this. Oh, man, you know, I just, you know, I just, I'm insecure. Or, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm just late. Or, or, you know, I'm just, uh, and we live by that, that label that the enemy wants to, you to have as your identity. The enemy accuses you with theological language, but God has redeemed you through Jesus Christ. Oh, yes, he will attack you. And so let's talk about how, and we actually, this will tee up even next week, how you can survive and thrive. Number one, 
We see this in 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. We need to humble ourselves. We need to humble ourselves under Christ. If you are to survive and thrive through an attack, number one is humility. Humble yourselves under Christ. To be humble is to put your full confidence in God. Like a child, childlike faith. Sometimes we think that we can survive an attack the more sophisticated we get. Listen, we should be lifelong studiers of the word of God, right? But we need to be people that have faith like a child, that when we read the word of God, we obey it like a child obeys their earthly parents because they they know everything, right? Well, we know our parents didn't know everything, but our God, our Father, our God Almighty, he knows everything. He's completely in control. And when we are humble, we acknowledge that we are not in control, And we acknowledge that we might not understand everything or every circumstances. We might not understand the timing of God, but we realize this, when we, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, when we humble ourselves, he may exalt you at what? The proper time. Which means this, when you trust God, your circumstances might not be going the way that you want them to go. This is the moment you're most vulnerable to an attack. But when you trust God, despite what you know or what you think is going to happen, when you trust him, this is a guarantee, this is a promise that at the proper time he will exalt you. He will lift you up out of that mirary clay. Humble yourself under Christ. Number two, cast your anxieties to Christ. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. You know, in all the world religions, God is a distant God or an angry God. It's only in Christianity that teaches that you can have a personal relationship with him, that he cares with you and he wants to commune with you every single day. If you feel like God is distant, if you feel like God is angry with you, if you feel like that God wants nothing to do with you, that is not the God of the Bible. That's a satanic distortion of the God of the Bible. The word casting that we see here, cast your cares or cast your anxieties on him, is a single act. In humility, we trust God with our feelings, with the fact that God is in control. So make no mistake, anxiety can be debilitating. For those of us that have dealt with anxiety, and I am one of them, about a decade ago, I've had debilitating anxiety. It literally, that Greek word for anxiety means that your mind is going opposite directions all at once. And you feel like you're drowning. And again, I don't want anybody here to feel bad. Man, I've dealt with anxiety. I remember I had a panic attack when I was on a mission trip one time. And I thought, God, what's the matter with me? And I realized, oh yeah, the person saying that what's the matter with me, that's not God. No, rather, when we have anxieties, the Bible says don't sit in a chair and sulk and say, oh, what's the matter with me? God said, give them to me. Cast them to me. Trust me with them. Even if your circumstances don't change, even if you're still having heart palpitations, even if your mind is still racing, despite what you're feeling, despite what won't stop, despite whatever you're going through, trust me. And I'm going to tell you, when I had panic attacks 10 years ago, the only thing I could do in that moment with every breath that I had, I said, and I sang a song that I've known since I was a kid, I just, our God reigns. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. My body didn't believe it, but in that worship, my spirit did. Cast your anxieties to Christ because he cares for you. He has got you with his love, his knowledge, his power, his spirit. 
And it's in that moment of casting our anxieties, we don't give an opening for the enemy with his remedies. Number three, be sober and alert in Christ. First Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil's prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. We need to return to the attitude of the early church. They were faced with unprecedented, and, they, and we really mean it this time by that, by that word, that word so thrown around all the time, with unprecedented persecution. And yet, they pressed on. And the church expanded, and worship went up. We are in the midst of maybe the most challenging times of your life, and as a result, we feel anxious, we feel anxiety, and we try to take control of that anxiety. But instead of getting frantic, we need to be sober and alert. We live in a world where sobriety is not valued. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. You can go to Illinois and every other billboard is a billboard for marijuana, right? The world says, numb yourself. God says, be alert, be sober in Christ. Why? Because we have a line that is prowling around, ready to strike. And we don't need to worry about a lion because we have the great, great lion tamer. We got the great savior, Jesus Christ, who has given us his word, given us his spirit, given us his salvation, and has given us support. Listen, walking in this life was never meant to be done alone. That's why we meet together on Sunday mornings. That's why even when, when John mentioned life groups, if you're not in one, get in one. We need to be able to be, sense encouragement that when stress is off the charts, support is right there behind you. We need to be sober and alert because when we are, we can walk forward in all what God is calling you to be. We can walk forward as a church in the precipice of the most hardest times in culture and know that God walks before us and whatever the enemy has against us, we can overcome. We can survive and we can thrive. The key is you gotta believe that because if you don't, you will take control yourself. And so today where we land is this. It's a call to action. We must resist the devil because the Bible says when we resist the devil, he will what? He will flee. He will flee, and he will place you in circumstances where you are in front of the hungry and you have something to offer. And the only reason why you have something to offer in the gospel is somebody offered it to you. It's when you're in the most debilitating circumstances where you know that you could easily go to the bottle, the pill, the, 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 the pornography, the abusive relationship, whatever it is. You can say, you know what? That is not the remedy. No, uh-uh, no weapon used against me. Mm -mm. It's the Spirit of God who's gonna free me to survive and thrive. So Father, we love you and we thank you. We pray, God, that we'd be a place where strongholds are broken. We'd be a place where we no longer make excuses for giving into the temptations but we'd be desperate for your intervention. God, that we'd be a place to where we, when we have messed up, that we don't listen to the forsaking words of the enemy, but we'd run to your freedom. God, do a work in this place. As we continue to pray, I believe there's freedom that's gonna happen in this room because some of you have never personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus. Today's your day. Today's your day to say yes to Jesus. Today's your day. 
So if you've never personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus, if you only know things about Jesus or you know he's far away, today he wants to draw close to you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. God created you to have a relationship with him, but our sin has separated us from Almighty God. And all real religions say, just be good and maybe you can be with God, but that's garbage. Jesus came to do what we could not do. We can't save ourselves through our good works. That's why Jesus came and he died on the cross to save you from every single one of your sins. And because he was a perfect, sinless sacrifice, death couldn't keep him and he rose from the dead. This is how you can receive this forgiveness this morning. Just tell Jesus you need him. Place your faith and trust in him alone, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the dead. Just receive him right now. Tell him, Lord Jesus, I, I wanna receive you into my life. I wanna receive your forgiveness. I'm gonna place my faith and trust in you alone. With every heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, if you're telling Jesus that this morning, if you're receiving Jesus, we just slip up your hand. No one looking around, we just slip up your hand and say, that's me. I'm, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? That's me. I'm saying yes to Jesus this morning. You've been trying to go it alone? No longer. You're going with God. Anybody else? Awesome. So Father, just pray for those that are saying yes to you today. Lord Jesus, I just pray that they would give their life to you, they would walk with you, they would trust you in every area of their life. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information about Emmanuel Kenosha Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church. Also, we'd love it if you'd connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at kenosha.church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Emmanuel, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week on the Emmanuel Kenosha Church Podcast.